Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 21 in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 21. And we are working through a series I have titled Jesus Worldview. We will cover verses 12 to 17 today. And uh, we have been working through the book of Matthew, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, one moment of, at, at a time, really looking at the story of our Lord. And uh, we get to see his worldview. Uh, it really is the most extensive gospel that we have in the New Testament. And Jesus really breaks down so many different topics and uh, ideas and opinions. And that's why I love it, because we get, again, an extensive view of his worldview. When we have so many views in the world today, how are we to navigate through all of this fog and confusion? Uh, I just want to go back to what Jesus said, and let's look at exactly what he said. And let's just preach and spend time meditating on exactly what he has said. So we call this series Jesus Worldview. This is sermon number 81 through the book of Matthew. And the title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is The Church, A House of Prayer or a Den of Thieves. A House of Prayer or a Den of Thieves. Heard of a story. Maybe you heard this one too. There's an elderly couple, you know, in their old age, they noticed that they were getting a lot more forgetful, so they decided to go to a doctor. The doctor told them that they should start writing things down so they don't forget. Well, they went home, and the old lady told her husband to get her a bowl of ice cream. You might want to write that down, she said. And the husband said, no, no, I can remember that. You want a bowl of ice cream. Simple, honey. So she then uh, told her husband she wanted a bowl of ice cream with whipped cream. Write it down, she told him. Again, he said, no, no, I can remember you want a bowl of ice cream with whipped cream. I got it, okay? Leave me alone, all right? Then the old lady said, I want a bowl of ice cream with whipped cream, whipped cream and a cherry on top. Write it down, she told her husband again. He said, no, 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 I got it. I got it, okay? You want a bowl of ice cream, whipped cream, and a cherry on top. She goes, or so he goes to get the ice cream and spends an unusually long time in the kitchen, about 30 minutes. And he comes out to his wife and hands her a plate of bacon and eggs. The old wife stares at the plate for a moment, then looks at her husband and says, I can't believe you. Where's the toast? <laughs> Just a joke. <laughs> If you walked into a very ornate church, tall ceilings, beautiful structure, holy, somber music, and you went in to pray and you sat down in the pew, broken over something that had happened in your life, and someone walked up next to you and whispered, excuse me, excuse me, and you look up to them after praying and they say, 20 bucks, please. You say, huh, what? You, you didn't buy the special necklace for 20 bucks so you can enter the church. You, you need this around your neck to be here, to enter in. Look, we would all be shocked if this happened, right? But then what happened if another person nearby saw this happening and they said, walked up to you and sat next to you after they saw this happen, they said, be careful, okay? This place is ran by the mafia, you would think a church ran by the mafia, 
ran by thieves? There's no way. This is crazy. But the fact of the matter is, is this is what happened in Jesus' day. And newsflash, this is still happening today. People have hijacked churches everywhere to make money and to push political agendas and ideologies on people in the community. Sadly, some of the most beautiful churches in the world are ran by people the furthest from God. And the church leaders have forsaken the word of God. Instead of looking to God's word every Sunday and seeing what he has said, they look to their own words and they do what they think is best and right. This is so dangerous. A church that gets away from the words of Christ, from the word of God, has gotten completely away from God. And now we are listening to the opinions and ideas of man which will not stand, which will fall. And that's how you can identify a healthy, good church. Step one, just go in and see if they open the Bible. Step two, see if they actually teach any of the Bible. Step three, take a look at the scriptures for yourself to see if what they taught actually makes sense and is what God has actually said in his Bible. So when they say things like, you know, if you give a bunch of money to the church, if you sow a seed, you're going to become a millionaire. I hope you would ask chapter and verse, please. Why would you just believe somebody because they got a robe on or a suit on? Who does this? Challenge the ideas. Think for yourself. Do not just listen and be led by anyone who speaks. This is foolish. I hope that you are watching the text closely when I preach. I hope that when you go home, you open the word of God and say, is that what was really said there? I am just a man like you. That God has given an ability for some reason to teach the word of God. But I can make mistakes too. I can mess up too. And by his grace, I will teach his word faithfully all the days of my life and never get away from it. I need his help. I need his grace. That's the discipline that I'm doing every single Sunday. And I'm trying to pass on to you church so you go to any place on the planet that opens the word of God, you can say, they teach the word of God. They do not teach the word of God. They teach the ideas of men. It's very easy. It's very simple. You can read it for yourself. Today, Jesus sees this happening in the temple. And let's just say he takes care of business. It's found in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 12. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we're reading. Definitely not mine. I can't write stuff like this. I can't possibly discern the thoughts of men and women. I can't possibly change the heart of a person, but God can, and his word does. And so we stand to remember his word that we are reading and allow it to open our eyes and ears and change our hearts for his glory and our better good. Look at verse 12 in our Bibles in Matthew 21. It says, And Jesus entered the temple 
and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the temples of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber, uh, making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the marvelous things which he had done, and the children who were shouting the temp in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you ever read, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal it to us. Let us understand your word. Let us understand this, this story and what you were doing back then. Would we be able to extract its meaning so that we can apply it today, now, in our own lives, right here in Studio City, right here in 2022? Please, Father, open our eyes and ears to hear your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, we saw the Lord call his disciples to go to a neighboring town, remember, and grab a donkey. And he said, just tell the owner the Lord has need of it, remember? And he rode into the old city of Jerusalem on a donkey. And as the people realized the Lord Jesus was declaring himself Messiah, they started shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hoshana, Hoshana to the son of David. Or save now, save now, son of David, Messiah, King, save us from the political leaders, save us from the Romans, help us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This all just happened, Palm Sunday, and Jesus now enters the temple. And as he enters, you would think something great would happen, something cheerful would be happening or be seen. The parade of the Messiah just happened outside these walls. But when the Lord enters the temple, he sees disgust and filth in God's temple. Verse 12, it says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, and he overturned tables of the money changers, and, and he took the seats of those who were selling doves. He just took them from them. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you guys are making it a robber's den. The temple of God has been turned into a den of thieves, he says. It's the hangout for the robbers, for the thieves. This is a clubhouse for you guys now. Jesus was shocked by what he saw. The place of worship and prayer has been turned into a courtyard full of livestock and crooked business. Men selling animals to people who needed to make a sacrifice unto God with the high priest. The temple was supposed to be a place where people came to worship God. How many have been to uh, Jerusalem? And maybe you've seen uh, the old city there right next to the city of David. There is the entryway into the temple, and you can actually sit or stand on the steps where Jesus walked right into the temple. It's still sitting there to this day. 
It's powerful. When we go there, we'll probably open to this passage and talk about these very things. Jesus walking in and out of these steps. The steps are still sitting there. And it was supposed to be a place of worship where people came to look to God and to pray. And Jews of that day would bring an animal from their own flock, from their house, from their farm, and they would bring it to worship and sacrifice before the Lord to cover their sins. If you didn't know, the Old Testament is very clear on this, that the way in which to cover sin was that an animal had to die for the sins of your family. What, an animal had to die? This is crazy. I know. Can you imagine? It's like uh, your father's like, son, daughter, go out to the farm and grab one of those lamb. What? Why are you doing that? Well, we got to take it to the temple. We're going to have it killed. The priest will slit its throat and the blood will run and it will die. Well, daddy, why does it have to die? Because we've done wrong before God. And it shows the seriousness of sin, that sin produces death in us. Sin produces hatred in us. Sin causes us to die. That's why we die. That's why we have disease. That's why we have problems. That's why we have hatred. It is sin that causes all of this. And when they would look at the animal being put to death, they would be reminded how dangerous their sin is and how destructive it is. Nobody wants an animal to die. Nobody wants an animal to be killed in front of their face for their sins. But behold, it would be a greater picture of the Lamb of God who would be put on the cross, whose throat would be slit and whose blood would run, the Lord Jesus, the Christ, the Lamb of God, who died in our place for our sin. It was a future picture of what he would do for us. He would die and pay the penalty so that we could be right with God. This sacrifice of animals was a picture of what was to come through Messiah. And the Lord walks in and seeing this being abused in the temple court, what was happening is the slimy businessmen saw an opportunity. They said, man, what if we set up shop right here on the inside of the temple grounds and sold animals at a premium price because people need them and we can make some good cash off these people coming into worship. This is perfect. It's sad because not only would these animals be sold at a premium price, they were also the only accepted ones because they were the authorized animals by the temple. Uh, Excuse me, sir. Uh, I know you've traveled 100 miles on donkey to get here, but is that pigeon you brought authorized? What do you mean? Oh, it isn't? Oh, we can't accept that one. I'm sorry, but, but, but we have for you pigeons that have been pre-blessed uh, by the temple and they're ready to go. And uh, you really want your sins forgiven? You really want to go to heaven and be right with God? You have to buy this animal. And actually, we have these luxury animals over here in the corner. If you really want your sins forgiven and you want your brother's sin forgiven and you want your dad who died's sins forgiven, uh, I will give you a special price, my friend. Special price. Come here. Special price. Three easy payments of $39.95, okay? And this one is actually pre-blessed by the Pope. Cough, cough, I mean, whoops. Excuse me, I mean priest. No, that was on purpose. Because this was actually happening in the 1500s. 
The Pope had declared that in order to get to heaven, you had to pay for an indulgence. And so people would come with their hard-earned money and say, okay, uh, I can buy my way to heaven. I can buy my way to salvation. Is this money enough? No, sir, I'm sorry. That's not enough money. You have to give more. And if you want your dad to make it to heaven because you know he went to hell, you got to pay more. And they literally ransacked the poor people of the cities. The authority of the Pope speaking, declaring this as the word of God when it's not in the Bible. The Bible says the opposite, that salvation is a free gift from God. How can you charge people money for a free gift from God? This is crazy. They were doing it 2,000 years ago. They were doing it in the 1500s, and people still try to do it today. If you ever see someone trying to charge you money to get to heaven, you know they are scamming you a 1,000%. It's crazy to think about this scene in this place, which they are doing it, all this buying and selling, trading for dirty business is right in the area where the Gentiles would come to worship. There was a separation between Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles would worship in the outer court. You would walk into the temple and there was like this outer court section. And then there was an inner court section. And then there was the actual temple. Okay? You wouldn't actually go into the actual temple. The high priest would do that. But everybody else would stand outside. Jews were up front. Gentiles all the way in the back. These are non-Jews. And they also separate the men and the women. And um, the, the, the place that they were doing this buying and selling of animals was in the area of the Gentiles, the outsiders. So the Gentiles were not allowed to enter the same place as the Jews. And so within earshot of someone trying to worship, pray, and seek God is people wheeling and dealing in the temple. And there's animals everywhere. And these people were crooked, stealing from poor people. So with all that in mind, the Lord Jesus walking into the temple courts and looks around and sees what's going on, it was like the county fair meets the stock exchange right in the temple entrance. And look what Jesus does, verse 12 again. And Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of money. You can hear the change and the coins rattle all over the floor as he picks up the wood table. This isn't some plastic table from Costco. It's a 100, 200 pound table and he lifts that thing and he flips it over in front of their face. The money changers and he takes their chairs and throws them. Jesus walks in and is angry. He can't believe what he sees, and in righteous anger, he cleans the place of all this trash. He drove them out. Now, many view Jesus in their mind's eye as this noodle-armed, wimpy, shy, peaceful, never-heard-a-fly monk. They depict Jesus in pictures with blonde hair and blue eyes. He didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. He was a Jew in the Middle East. He had dark skin, dark eyes, and dark hair, and a beard. You, 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 
Isaiah tells us there was nothing to behold of him. You couldn't point him out in a crowd. That's why when the soldiers came up to arrest him, they're like, Judas, tell us which one he is. Go and kiss him because we don't know which one he is. He didn't have a halo around his head. He wore poor clothes. He was a bruiser of a man. You think a guy like that, they not only depict him with blonde hair, blue eyes, and, and, and this peaceful, shy, wimpy guy, uh, but they also will picture him with a lamb around his neck throwing up a little peace sign, right? <laughs> you think that guy could drive out a den of thieves and robbers? Yeah, right. They grab him by the back of the neck, say, take him out back and uh, beat this guy. Many forget Jesus was a construction worker by trade. He swung a hammer for a living. Have you ever looked at the forearms of a man who swings a hammer all day? He's Popeye. He swung a hammer for a living and worked with his hands. He moved lots of wood. He probably cut down trees with an ax. He cleaned the wood and he built things. Houses, including furniture, all kinds of things. He was a lumberjack. His father was a carpenter and he learned the trade since he was a boy. He was a lumberjack and a construction worker who chose by the grace of God to heal the sick and love the lowly and the poor. He challenged the religious intellectually. He shut them down. But he was strong and powerful as a man in the physical sense. And that's how he drove them out, with strength and authority. He was a beast of a man. The fishermen followed him. The tax collectors followed him. This was not the first time he did it, though. Did you know that? Bible students, this is the second time he's done this. And they set up shop again. So he was double ticked. He's like, you guys are dead meat. So Jesus is ticked. John's gospel tells us about the first time. Listen to what he did the first time. Are you ready? John chapter 2, verse 14. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers seated at their tables. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove them out with the whip, from all the temple courts, both the sheep and the cattle, he poured out the coins of the money changers. He just poured it out everywhere. He literally picked up all their cash and just threw it up in the air. I love this scene. He poured out their coins and he took all their tables and he flipped them over. And he said to them in verse 16 of chapter 2 of John, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? This is called beast mode, okay? If you want to know who Jesus is, look to the rider on the white horse in the book of Revelation, or the one who is called the Alpha and the Omega, whose robe is dipped in blood who has a sword coming out of his mouth and fire in his eyes. He is the king of the universe, not some wimpy deer. He is the lion and the lamb. And when the lion shows up, everyone runs. When the lion shows up, all fear him and all fall dead before him. I love that we see Jesus in anger, righteous anger, because righteous anger is good. Did you know that? Be angry and do not sin, the Bible tells us. 
We should be absolutely angry at the sexual abuse of children. Livid. Especially now having kids, I cannot even process. As a father, you have no idea the burden that that puts upon me to want to protect the innocent and to step in the gap. I'll never forget me and the guys were walking through a parking lot one time and I saw a man, his kids were standing around. I don't know what was going on. I saw this man, it was the dad. He was choking like his eight or nine-year-old daughter, choking her. I didn't even have kids at the time and the beast came out of me and I said, hey, what are you doing? And he looked at us and me and the guys were standing there. I said, stop that, what are you doing? And we need men to be stepping up in this way in this society to start getting involved in things. You expect others who are in authority to protect you if you're innocent. Why in the world wouldn't you step in to protect the innocent? Well, I don't wanna get involved. I don't wanna deal with that. And that's exactly why we are in the place we are today. Jesus says, oh, you're going to take advantage of people? I will clean this place out. I'll flip every table in here, and I will drive you out myself because no one else is willing to do it. Who knows how long it had been going on? Be angry and do not sin. God is angry with those who hurt the innocent. Did you know that? Did you know that God hates things? God hates did you know God hates things? Of course, if you love your spouse or your children, you'll hate what causes harm to them now, won't you? If you love something passionately, you will hate th those things that come up against it to destroy them. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19, the great Solomon writes, the king says, there are six things that God hates, seven that are an abomination to him says, God hates haughty eyes. He hates a lying tongue. He hates eyes that shed innocent blood. He hates a heart that deceives, wick, devises wicked plans. He hates feet that make haste to run to evil. He hates a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord amongst the brothers. He hates these things. And we are called to hate them as well. I hope that you would be passionate about the things that you love. So much so that you'd be able to stand for what is right in those moments when you see they are wrong. What are you nervous about? You're gonna lose position? You're going to be challenged for the first time in life? When Jesus calls them a den of robbers, he is quoting Jeremiah the prophet. Listen to how perfectly the Lord Jesus applies the scripture he says, you have made the house of prayer into a den of thieves. And he's quoting the prophet Jeremiah. It's in Jeremiah 7, verses 1 to 11. Let it wash over you. Just listen to the text. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah, and he said, go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people, O Judah. Listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's army the God of Israel says, even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land, but don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. 
Only if you stop exploiting foreigners and orphans and widows. Only if you stop murdering each other. Only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. But verse 8, do not be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is sitting here. It's a lie, Jeremiah said. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back to all those evil things again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves? Surely see all that evil going on in here, I, the Lord, have spoken. Yikes! Jeremiah stood up before and said this, and then Jesus steps into the temple and quotes it. Jesus isn't having this. And he drives out these robbers in the temple. He says, I don't care if they're the mafia. They're going down. Everyone out. He puts his life on the line. You Bible students know in the text, it says that these religious leaders and these mafia, per se, actually start having conversations. we got to kill this guy. we got to knock him off. we got to get him out of here. He's causing way too many problems. And they plot to kill him. And we know they do. But we know it is actually salvation for the world. Praise God. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You're making it a den of thieves. Think about this contrast. House of prayer, den of thieves. House of prayer, clubhouse for robbers and thieves. Let this church, let this never be in any church. You ever see this happening? Please somebody stand up and say something. Let this never be in our church. But you see it, those televangelists working the old ladies over on TV, Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, he's a billionaire. Did you know that? A televangelist, a preacher, a billionaire, not because he built a business and, and produced something in society. No, no, but because he took all the donations of the church for 40, 50 years on tele television and went right into his own bank account. This is crazy. And we have seen it in the Catholic church around the time of the Reformation, the indulgence that I spoke about earlier Give money and you can buy your way to heaven. You also can buy your dead ones out of hell. Just pay this amount. This is crazy talk. This is wicked. Using the temple of God, which is supposed to be the house of prayer, to abuse people, to hurt people. That's sad. That's not right. And somebody needs to say something. Last week, by the grace of God, church, we did Prayer Sunday here at Legacy, and it was one of the most beautiful Sundays I've ever seen. The church prayed for one another, the tears flowed, burdens were lifted, lives were set free, healing took place. We sought the King, and we sought the face of God, and He met us here, and He brought peace and rest to people's lives like only He can. My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And I was reminded last week of just how important that is. We have to seek God together. Psalm 34, 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Jeremiah 29, 
12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you, God says. Do you know what God's phone number is? Write it down. I'm going to give it to you. It's Jeremiah 33, 3. It's all threes. Jeremiah 33, 3, God's phone number. You know what he says? He says, call unto me. And I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. You call me, and I will show up. Jesus wanted to walk into the temple and see people praying and worshiping and seeking God. Instead, he saw a circus. Legacy, let it not be here, ever. Let God burn down this church before it ever turned into a den of thieves. No thanks. This house will be a house of prayer and worship for the city of L.A. forever and ever. You see, not only was the temple courts a hangout for thieves, ECs and religious leaders were keeping those who were blind and lame from coming in to the outside courts there. They wouldn't let the outcasts in. Remember, they pushed them to the outskirts of the city. They made them sit out there. The lepers, the blind, the cripple, those who were sick, you all got to stay out there. The text says that Jesus opened the doors after he cleaned house and he let them all in. And the religious leaders are sitting there all ticked off like, what is he, who does he think he is? He said, let the sick in. And he healed them all right there in the Gentiles' court. Right there in the temple. Verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Praise God. Jesus restored the temple, the place of God, back to the kingdom, back to the Garden of Eden, to the way it was supposed to be, a place of worship, a place where the presence of God dwells, a place of prayer, seeking the Father, sacrificing to him. And notice, all are welcome to come and worship. He kicks out those taking advantage of God's people, the religious leaders, and he welcomes everyone else in. I love this. And they're like, you can't let those people into the church. And I've actually had people come up to me and say things like that. Did you see what they were wearing at church? Yeah. So what? What were you wearing when you walked into a church? Were you magically figured everything out? What are you talking about? Never forget the story of good old Chuck Smith. Papa Chuck, they called him Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Started, helped start the Jesus movement back in the 70s. The church had grown to thousands of hippies. And they would come to church with no shoes on and no shirts. Sitting in the pews. And the church was upgrading and getting cleaner and better, and they actually had the opportunity of, you know, painting the walls and putting all this new stuff in, and they put brand new carpet on the floor. And the ushers started to get all ticked off because the dirty hippies were coming in with their dirty feet, and they were dirtying up the floor when they came in. So they went to Pastor Chuck. He said, these kids need to start putting some shoes and shirts on. They can't be coming in here. They're messing up our new pews and our, our, our carpet and all this. Chuck looked at him and said, Rip the carpet out. Put the old one in. The hippies stay. He let the people in the church that the rest of the church, the rest of the world would not let in. The more broken, the more hurting in this city, the more welcome. 
All are welcome. It doesn't matter what you are wearing. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you have been. You are welcome to come and worship. Aren't you happy God didn't say no to you? You can't come in because, and he could have, huh? But he didn't. So if somebody looks different than you or acts different than you, go give them a hug. Say, welcome. This is God's kingdom. I love how the prophet Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 55, 1. Speaking for the Almighty, he says, Come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the waters. Even if you don't have any money, come and buy and eat. How do I buy and eat if I don't have any money? He just says, just show up, man. You're welcome. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. It's all free. This is the kingdom of God. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food, spiritual food. Incline your ear, come to me here that your soul may be revived and live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. God says, open the doors of the banquet. Everybody's invited to the party, but they're not a part of that circle. But they don't uh, have nice enough clothes. Uh, but, 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 but they're, you know, associated with those people. Perfect, Jesus would say. Yeah, but, but he, he works for the IRS. We can't welcome him in. <laughs> Jesus says, Matthew, Levi, come follow me. The tax collector, come follow me. I will make you a disciple who grows my kingdom for God's glory. I love this. This is the kingdom. This is the church. You know, I, I think I'm growing in this even as a pastor and a preacher because, again, you know, I, I think I couldn't help from my youth judge so many people by their appearance, my perception of them, my ideas about them, their language, the way they held themselves, the way they acted, maybe still in complete sin coming into the church and causing other people to be ruffled up. And I had a hard time processing all of this. And more and more I'm learning that I'm not more upset with uh, those new believers who are coming in or people who are inquiring about God, but those who know better and have been around for 30, 40, 50 years who know better and are still messing up the church. Jesus went after the religious leaders. He welcomed the broken, the poor, and those who didn't look right to enter into the temple. And I love this. The kingdom is upside down and backwards. It always challenges your ideologies. I think LA has helped me to do that. There are so many different types of people in this city, and I absolutely love it. Maybe like no other city on the planet, Maybe New York, I don't know. But there are so many different cultures and people and stages and ages and different ways of life and thinking. And gosh, it's beautiful if you would just sit down with them. And I've had the privilege of being able to sit down with so many of you and hearing your story. And it's grown my heart to understand what the kingdom of God looks like. When you get to heaven, 
When you get to heaven, you will see every tribe, every tongue, and every nation worshiping God before the throne. And they'll all be together and they will chant in one voice. Verse 15, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the marvelous things which he had done. Oh, they marveled, that's for sure. <laughs> he cleared the temple and then healed everybody. And then the, the children who were shouting in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. I love this. After Jesus drives out the thieves and robbers, the religious leaders are part of that. Children who were with their parents, I guess, worshiping in the temple, started shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. You ever see kids chant like one starts, we want cookies. We want cookies, right? Then like all 10 or 20 of them start, we want cookies. We, and, and like you're overpowered by them. You're like, whoa, babe, get the jar. You know, they're, they're coming for us. Well, all these children start shouting and chanting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. And the chief priests and the scribes get mad at them. And they actually say to Jesus in verse 16, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, I do. Have you never read, you religious leaders, you scholars? Have you, haven't you read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself? He just made himself God in that sentence. Verse 17, and he left them and went out of the city of Bethany and spent the night there. I love this. They're saying, why are you letting these foolish children call you Messiah, King, and the son of David? That's blasphemy. And Jesus says, yes, I know what they're calling me. Haven't you read Psalm chapter 8? Verse 2, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? The Lord has prepared praise for himself in the mouth of babies. If you religious leaders won't worship the Messiah when he's standing right in front of you, don't worry. The children will fill in for you and give all the praise and worship that is due to his name. They'll take care of it. The five-year-old. The one major difference between many in the crowd who cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now, when he was riding on the donkey and these children, is the children really believed it with childlike faith. They're like, oh my gosh, the king is here. It's the king of the universe. It's the Messiah. They were believing wholeheartedly like child children do. They fully believed. The children would not be chanting, crucify him, crucify him days later like the rest of the crowd. The most beautiful picture in this whole story is Jesus took back the temple to make it a house of prayer, but he was trying to teach them something. The temple of God was not the pillars and the stones of the temple mount and the beautiful structures. It was not the animals and the sacrifice of priests. The temple is just stone walls without the presence of God. And Jesus walked into the stone walls 
And when he walked in, who is Almighty God, he makes it the temple. Jesus is the temple. His presence is the temple. Jesus is the one who brings forgiveness and healing in the temple, not the stones, not the pillars. None of that brings forgiveness. Jesus is the one who brings us into the presence of God. He is the high priest. He is the temple. He is the dwelling place of God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him all fullness of the deity of God dwells in bodily form. The whole shebang is sitting right in him. And if you take him out of the temple, it's just stone. But if you put him in there, it is the true temple of God. And he said, get everybody out that's making this not the temple of God, and I'm going to step in. When Jesus, the Lamb of God, is sacrificed on the cross for our sins, the Bible says that the veil, which was super thick and super tall, was standing. Let's just picture a veil that's literally as high as this ceiling, a giant uh, piece of cloth, multiple layers of blankets and cloth, this veil that was sitting there blocking you from entering into the holiest place of the temple. It was called the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt, and where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the Ten Commandments were in there, and, and Aaron's rod was in there. All, manna, a bowl of manna sat in that Ark of the Covenant. There, there were these giant-looking angels on top of this Ark of the Covenant. In that place, the Holy, the, the Holy of Holies, the high priest would step in, and he would take blood that had been sacrificed through a lamb, and he would take it, and he would sprinkle like this seven times. Seven times. Seven times. Over the Ark of the Covenant, the blood... And in that moment, God would cover the sins of the people. But when Jesus died on the cross, in the moment he died, it says in the text that the veil in the temple magically ripped from top to bottom. It broke it open. All of a sudden, the hand of God came and ripped this giant veil and broke open the, the Holy of Holies so that anyone can now enter. And that the temple is open for all. For all to come in and meet with God. Then God would come and dwell in his people. No longer a stone temple, but the temple of the body of Christ, which is every believer. If we leave this place, there is no temple here. It's just a school gym. That's a basketball hoop. <laughs> But when the people of God come together and the Spirit of God dwells in us, guess what happens? It becomes the temple. The temple is his people. It is Christ in us. And as a symbol of the temple being done away in the Old Testament rituals and all these things, the Old Covenant and New Covenant would come. God would allow that temple to be burnt to, ground, to the ground by the Romans just a couple decades later. The thing will be wiped out forever. It's been gone for 2,000 years. Because the new temple is his people. R. Kent Hughes said this in his commentary, I loved it, about church planting. That was interesting. He said, you know, one of the beauties of church planting, not aesthetic beauties, but theological beauties, is that it is easier to keep things first, first. It is easier to keep the faith in Jesus at the center of our everyday worship and our Sunday worship. For our church buildings are no temples, our pastors are not priests, and there is no holy of holies tucked behind the organ. But God's people are the temple, they are the priests. 
And in and through Christ, all Christians have entered the Holy of Holies. So if our church building crumbles to the ground or someday the doors are closed, the word of God exhorts us today and always to worship. It exhorts us to have faith and to have faith in Jesus, the ultimate temple of the living God. Isn't that awesome? We don't need a temple building made with human hands for God to dwell or for us to be forgiven. God has made a way through Jesus. He is the temple. He is the priest. He is the Lamb of God. He is all we need. And he is the only entrance, the only way to God. We get to remember the great work that he has done in communion now as we close the service. Let's turn our hearts in prayer to him. Father, I pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would work in our hearts and that you would set an anchor even in this church that this would never become a den of thieves. But we would be a people who worship you and know you and walk with you that your spirit dwells in. That we would be a people who honor you with our lives. That we would not worship other gods during the week and come in here and do something different. Lord, please turn our hearts to you now with all with all of your spirit, would you turn our hearts to you? And I pray now, Lord, as we turn to communion, as we ready our hearts, that we would take it in a worthy manner. I pray that you would forgive us of our sins. I pray that you would make us right with you now. I pray that we'd repent of the things we have been doing, not walking with you, and repent and turn to you with all of our hearts now, that we would make you Lord and Savior over our lives once again. Please, Lord, help us to remember the great work that you did on the cross. Help us to remember your return. And help us to celebrate the communion we have with you and with one another in this moment. Be glorified as we partake of communion now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.